Hello and welcome to the Beating the Statistics podcast. I'm your host, Miles Victors. I'm a health and fitness enthusiast that loves to get into the nitty-gritty of evaluating and developing systems and structures in my life and the lives of my clients that make the healthy choices easier, the unhealthy choices more difficult or unappealing, and creating a lifestyle that promotes a focus on health and fitness long into the future. The Beating the Statistics podcast is focused on helping all students of health and fitness beat the odds when it comes to a lasting change in the realm of weight loss and our fitness goals. Only 3% of those that attempt to reach a healthy weight are successful in the long term. 97% fall short of that mark. My solid belief is that it is because their lives lack the systems necessary to make any change truly lasting or easy to maintain. Having lost over 200 pounds myself after many failed attempts, I've been on this train for a while. I know how much the train tickets cost. I know all the stops. I know where the train needs to slow down or speed up, and so on. I hope to be able to walk you, my listeners, through what I've learned along the way, as well as learn new things with you. So, have a listen, join me on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. Thank you for being here. Hey, welcome. This is the second episode in the Getting Started series of podcast episodes. The topic today is all about cardiovascular exercise, the merits of the different methods of cardio work, and hopefully some information that will help you choose which might be right for you at different stages in your health and fitness journey. So to get started, before my adoption of a healthier and more active lifestyle, I had some serious mobility issues to contend with. I had an extreme amount of joint pain that was my daily challenge. It limited me to only really hobbling from one seat to another or from one location to another or from my car to the office or from my car to, you know, the nearest seat at a restaurant or from my bed upstairs to my recliner downstairs if I had to go from one floor to the other. I didn't have a gym membership. I was relatively resistant to getting one. I really, really didn't want to get a gym membership. And the reason why is because I hate contracts. I hate being tied into something. I was super self-conscious and I was embarrassed about my weight, which made it difficult for me to want to go out and to be in public and work out around people. Um, If you really want more reference to all of this, you can reference my previous episode on overcoming embarrassment, which is the very first episode in the Getting Started series uh, for this podcast. Gives you a lot more context behind my hangups that I had with working out in public and hangups that a lot of people likely are facing that maybe even you are facing. Um, So that was really tough. I used to really like riding my bicycle. Uh, but bikes are really hard to come by for somebody who's over 400 pounds, uh, and are really uncomfortable for someone who is as heavy as I was. Most bike seats at the weight that I was felt like I was sitting on the business end of an ax. So pretty uncomfortable to say the least. Pinch flats, uh, which are basically when your tire bottoms out against the rim in the road and broken spokes are major issues for really heavyweight riders. Bikes are also really expensive in general, and finding one that is budget-friendly that could also support my weight, that had the right number of spokes, that was built durable enough, and be comfortable was an almost impossible task. So that ruled out for me virtually everything except for some pretty painful walking. Luckily, I had a cane that I could use that would help me get around and kind of stumble around a little bit. And also, um, it's really easy for you to measure progress when you count steps, 
which is a very granular measurement that allows uh, allowed me anyway to stay motivated very early on. I could set goals and thresholds that were small and actionable and things that I could increase by, you know, a few hundred steps to a few thousand steps over time. In the beginning, I could only manage a couple thousand steps per day with any real consistency. And that was a struggle because I wanted to go a lot further, but I physically just couldn't go more than a couple thousand steps. Well, soon enough, these couple thousand steps turn into three or four thousand steps and then six thousand steps. And then it was when I could actually consistently walk over 10,000 steps per day. I started seeing some major changes in my health and fitness as well as in my weight loss. That's kind of the tipping point where I was actually able to get enough workout in that it actually started making a big difference in the calories burned per day. Um, Along the way of getting to that point, though, I did suffer some setbacks. We all suffer setbacks. We all suffer things that basically hold us back from what we want to do. And mine was a knee injury. I fell down the stairs uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. It forced me to confront some of my own demons and insecurities. And by demons and insecurities, I mean going to the gym and specifically working out by going to the pool. And that was very a very big struggle for me because of how self-conscious I was with my body image. I had to keep moving forward. So I I did turn to the pool during this time, the swimming pool, to keep up my movement and to keep burning calories, which meant I had to go and obviously sign up for a gym membership and go through that, that hassle that I previously mentioned I didn't really want to go through. But it ended up being a big boon for me and it helped me get through some of these tough times and added another uh, tool to my toolbox that allowed me to continue to work out and add some variety into my movement. Um, so yeah, I, I found overall though that swimming was more of a hassle for me than just walking. Uh, what that meant if I wanted to go swimming is I had to, you know, get all my stuff together, get in the truck, drive to the pool, get changed into my swimsuit, go get my workout in in the pool. Then afterwards I had to get out, shower, change back into normal clothing, and then drive home. All these extra steps adds about a a half hour at a minimum to any of my gym efforts. And for someone who was trying to make working out and being healthier, a more natural extension of my life and an easy affair, uh, it added a lot of complication and hurdles to my life and to my systems. Um, Getting to the pool was a complication of my system that I was trying to build for myself. And that was trying to make getting this movement in a natural part of my life and something that would be really easy for me to keep doing uh, after the initial motivation or the initial uh, enthusiasm wore off. So in short, I really fell in love with not swimming. It was just walking. I really enjoyed walking. And so once my body was tuned enough and, and back into good enough shape where I could do a lot of walking again, I went right back to it. Um, I could do, I could walk anytime I wanted to, and I would, I would wake up early and I would go for a walk in the morning before work. I would go on walks during my work day to clear my head during breaks. You know, people, some people go out for smoke breaks. Some people go to the water cooler. I would go on a walk. Uh, I would go on long walks at lunch while I listened to podcasts and I would drink my protein shake during lunch while I was walking. I would go on walking dates with my wife and I would walk to the park with my kids and with my dog. Uh, I would go on evening walks. If my family was busy doing something, if they were out at friends' houses or they were busy reading books or playing video games or whatever, Monica and I would often go on a walk together. After after they went to bed, after the kids went to bed, we'd go on a walk together. If they were all over at a family member's house and I got home and, and they were still gone, I would go for a walk after work. Um, 
I would walk to the grocery store or if I wanted to get like a specialty diet soda down the road, it's one of my vices and I'm okay with it, uh, is, is a diet soda is I would walk to the specialty shop and that's how I would allow myself to get some of these fancy sodas. It was an incentive for me to get movement in every day. Um, yeah. So in short, I would walk just about everywhere. This made an amazing difference in my mobility and strength. As I mentioned before, in the early days of me trying to get healthy and fit, I had to walk with a cane uh, because of how bad my joints were. And I had some severe arthritis and some some muscular deficiencies and some joint, uh, joint strength issues. Uh, soon enough, though, I was able to walk without my cane. And soon after that, the pain and the discomfort that were in my joints and in my muscles started to disappear. And it was great because I started to gain that health and that fitness and that mobility. So... If we're going to start off this conversation anywhere about good, healthy uh, ways to get some movement in, especially movement that works your cardiovascular system, mainly your heart and your lungs, I think that walking is king. I talk to everybody, everyone I talk to who asks what they can do to start losing weight and start getting healthier, I say walk. It is something that we were basically evolved to do is walk. We are upright animals with a big heel on our foot. And the reason why is because we are evolved to walk and walk long distances and walk everywhere. And walking to me is king. That said, walking isn't always for everyone. Uh, Some people have a really hard time with walking. And I understand that. I recognize that. Even though I advise it to everybody, I get that some people just don't like it or they aren't able to do it. Um, Some people find walking to be an exceptionally boring uh, waste of time. For those people, I have a couple tips and tricks that might be able to get you into the walking attitude. Uh, One of those is to find a really good audiobook or a podcast series that you can really sink your teeth into. This makes the miles and hours just melt away for me. If I'm listening to something really engaging that I'm learning a lot about, I could just check out and listen to this and hours later still be listening to it and still be very happy to just to keep walking. Um, If the scenery, if it's scenery that's an issue... Um, you don't like your local landscape or your neighborhoods, I really recommend hiking for a lot of people who are near hiking trails. Hiking is ama- it's amazing and it offers a lot of new challenges, especially if you live in hilly country. It's a good way to get your heart rate up and to, and to have some different variation in the way that your legs move and work, especially if you are picking your way around rocks or navigating tricky trails. It works a lot of stabilizing muscles. I really recommend hiking to a lot of people, but one challenge with that is, is it has similar challenges as going to the gym. Uh, One of the downsides to hiking is the time that it can take to get to your local trails. This adds hurdles to your exercise habits that you're trying to build, or it adds additional steps or complications. So if you live nearby the trails or you frequently drive by them, then hiking is a great thing to do, especially if you have family and friends who like to go hiking too. If you don't live in a safe place to walk outside, which might be the case for those living in certain cities or those who uh, the only time they have to walk is when it's dark outside uh, and it's not safe to be out at, at night because your roads, you know, you don't have any sidewalks or maybe you don't feel safe out in the dark. Um, or those who live in really harsh climates, especially really northern cold climates during the winter or in the summertime, maybe your only time is to go in the middle of the day and you live in Arizona. Maybe walking isn't the best thing because of heat exhaustion and heat issues. You got to be very cognizant of that. So for those people who have a difficult time getting outside to walk, I think a treadmill is a fantastic investment. 
I always recommend to people that they make investments in things that help improve their health and fitness systems. So in this case, if walking outside is a hard pass, then I highly recommend purchasing a treadmill and using a treadmill. Treadmills are excellent for getting walking in at any time, day or night, rain or shine. It doesn't matter what the weather's like outside, doesn't matter what time it is. If you've got time, that treadmill is there ready to go whenever you are. Walking is also extremely easy to do, very easy to do when you're engaged in another activity. And being on a treadmill allows you to be engaged in a lot of different activities. You can work when you're on a treadmill. You can attend meetings. You can watch movies or TV shows. Uh, When you're watching something really engaging or playing a video game, um, it's almost an unconscious activity. I actually had a good friend who would play video games every morning while walking on the treadmill. And he would walk a good six or seven miles while playing uh, video game. I think his his favorite video game to play on the treadmill was Diablo 3. I think it is. It's a game that he played on, I believe, his Xbox. And he loved it. And he actually was a very good uh, video game player. Um, and it's probably because of the investiture of time that he made into it. But he did it while he walked on the treadmill. That was the way that he would justify that use as if he was getting some exercise in. Another benefit is that if you don't live alone, Uh, Quite often, those that you live with become motivated in turn to start working out or moving more because they're seeing you put into action these practices and walking. And so when you have a treadmill in your home, you are more visible to those that you live with. And that encourages a more healthy lifestyle for everyone living in your home. So as walking gets easier for you, uh, I encourage you to challenge yourself. You can do this in a number of different ways when you're walking. Walking is is really easy to continue to push the limits for yourself. One is to pick up the pace. Challenge yourself to walk each mile a little bit quicker than the last during a workout or try to increase your average walking pace over the next week or month. Uh, This is a really good way if you have a fitness tracker to be able to track your mileage. Uh, If you don't have a fitness tracker, you can just use a stopwatch and mark out a mile around your home that you can then consistently track how fast you're walking. And it doesn't have to be a mile distance. It can be just how fast did you get around the block or how fast did you loop uh, or lap your neighborhood, right? You could also seek out some elevation changes, meaning that you could tackle like all the steep hills in your neighborhood to get your heart pumping or try to find that steepest hill in your in your local you know neighborhood or, or city blocks and go up and down those several times to get kind of almost an interval training, but very low impact because you're walking. Uh, that's a good way to motivate yourself or to push yourself further. Uh, alternatively, you could also take up what's called rucking. And rucking is a really great walking activity because all it is is walking with a weighted backpack on, uh, just carrying additional weight in a backpack. Uh, it's an excellent method of increasing your physical fitness without adding a lot of additional strain to your legs and to your joints. Um, my brother is a really big advocate for rucking and he really enjoys it. And so he'll quite often go on walks for, you know, for an hour with a 20 to 40 pound weight in his backpack, um, depending on kind of what level of workout he wants to get. Um, I have clients who are really into rucking and it's how they increase their activity without additional strain that you might get from an activity like running. It has very similar cardiovascular benefits to to jogging, but without the additional load that jogging can put on your joints, especially if you don't like jogging. Um, But yeah, it works really well. I recommend that you start small with only a few pounds in your backpack to start with, and then each week adding a little bit more weight to the pack. Um, So if you 
If you don't want to invest in a whole rucking system, what this could mean is that you just have a, a backpack on and you throw a couple cans of soup into the bottom of it, right? And then the next week you add a can. And the week after that, you add another can until you add up a decent amount of cans that, you know, you're carrying about an extra 40 pounds on your back or however many pounds you want. Now, I recommend that you work up to carrying about 20% of your body weight in your rucksack or into your backpack. So that means for a 200 pound person, this would be carrying an additional 40 pounds in a pack. If you're, you know, 300 pounds, we're talking an uh, up to an additional 60 pounds in the pack. But realistically, if you're carrying 40 pounds in a pack, that's a pretty good weight. 60 pounds in a pack actually starts making you require like a, a, a real rucksack that is designed for holding all this weight, which is great. It's a great investment if this is something that you enjoy doing or carrying a backpacking pack or, or something of that nature. But most backpacks can carry about 40 pounds. Um, don't quote me on that. Obviously, there's backpacks of all sorts of different qualities out there. If you gradually increase this weight, you're going to end up burning a lot more calories, gain a lot of leg strength, and dramatically increase your cardiovascular fitness and your endurance over this period of time that you you do this type of exercise. And I am I am very pro-rucking. I'm pro-walking. I'm pro-rucking. I think those are two amazing exercises that more people should do. Um, and I think that it helps get around a lot of those hurdles that people have with other types of cardiovascular work like running. I don't think you need to be a runner. I think that walking and rucking is a perfectly great way to get similar cardiovascular benefits. Well, if walking is, is simply too difficult or painful to do, and you struggle with being severely overweight, then swimming is probably your next best option. Even though I get frustrated with swimming sometimes, if you aren't given very many other uh, options out there, then I would lean really heavily into swimming. Um, if swimming isn't your thing, then the next best activity I would recommend would be using an elliptical machine, right? So typically people don't have elliptical machines in their homes. Um, they can be a complicated piece of equipment or an expensive piece of equipment. They're very uh, single use. You know, you pretty much you can only elliptical when you have an elliptical machine. When you have a treadmill, you can increase the, you know, the incline and kind of simulate hiking. You can walk, you can run, you can jog, you can walk backwards, you can walk sideways if you want to, whatever. Um, elliptical is, is very purpose-driven and it also takes up a decent amount of room. So what this means is you likely are going to need to get a gym membership, whether you're going to go swimming or you're going to go uh, and, get, uh, and start doing an elliptical machine. If this is the camp that you're in, I recommend you do a deep analysis of where you can go to get this movement in and how you're going to make getting there an easy part of your days and weeks. Again, my primary issue with gyms is how much of an expedition it can sometimes take, how much time it can take to include that in your regular schedule. A common thing that many people do is find the closest pool or gym, and this works for a lot of people, but just Finding that gym means that you have to then get ready to go to the gym, pack up your stuff, drive there, get your workout in, either shower at the gym or come home and then shower at home, get ready for the day and then go to work. Or if you're doing it at night, you're getting ready for bed and then you're going to bed. <clears throat> this adds a lot of steps into your day, which can um, make it a challenge to make sure that you fit it in with any consistency because things come up and pretty soon you don't have time to do this whole rigmarole. So instead, I recommend finding a swimming pool or a gym that's on your way to and from a location that you have to go to each day anyways. For most people, this place is going to be heading to or from work. The advantage to this is that you don't need to make any secondary trips that have to be scheduled into your day. 
It's no longer a round-trip affair that needs to be planned around, but simply an extension to your regular commute. This makes getting to the gym or to the pool or working out far easier to be consistent and regular with. So if there are issues that make this too difficult to fit into your day, I recommend joining a gym where you have friends or family that also have memberships. So if you can't find a place that's on the way or you can't find a way to kind of motivate you to go out of your way to go to the gym, sometimes creating a little bit of social pressure is what's necessary to increase your consistency with getting to the gym. So I would recommend, you know, scheduling times to meet up with your friends or family and combine your physical movement with that social interaction. The other benefit of this is that it can serve to improve not only your physical, but also your mental, emotional, and social health. So if you make the gym a place where you go and see people you care about, then it becomes that much more motivating and easy to make that a consistent part of your day or your week. As you start to get in better shape and you start to lose some of this weight, you're going to find yourself wanting a greater challenge. Uh, To this, I actually say two different things that are diametrically opposed. One is awesome, but also the other one is be cautious. And I'll explain why for each. So clearly awesome is because I'm really very pro continuing to advance in your health and fitness and to push yourself. Uh, this means your body, including your hormones, are responding very uh, very well and properly to your increase in physical activity. When you move more and you do so regularly, your body begins to crave that movement. It also becomes difficult to take rest days or have less active periods in your week because of this, but that's a good thing in my opinion. Continual improvement is also so important to making sure that active living becomes a part of the foundation of your lifestyle. So challenging yourself to do new things and push yourself a little further or in different and new directions is what adds spice and variety to your health and fitness journey. So I'm very pro new challenges and and trying to stretch yourself. My word of caution is, is because of this. Your hormones and the strength of your muscles are very easy to adapt to new loads and new challenges. This includes your heart and your lungs. They respond very well to regular exercise. What responds a lot slowly and a lot more slowly and and doesn't respond as well are your skeletal system and your tendons and ligaments. Your skeleton is extremely slow to build adaptation that strengthen your bones and your joints to handle major increases in stress tolerance and load. Also, your tendons and your ligaments have next to no blood flow going to them, so their adaptations are also really slow, way slower than your muscles. Uh, Because your muscles obviously have a lot of blood flow to them, your tendons and ligaments not so much. They don't rebuild themselves or adapt to the increases in load as well. So what this can cause is overtraining or overuse injuries. These are serious considerations when progressing in your health and fitness efforts because too much too soon is an extremely common ailment that many experience, myself included, both past and and in the future for me. Because I am a type of guy who... Uh, likes to do too much too soon. I like to push myself probably faster and further than I want. So this is a cautionary tale. I've had stress fractures. I've had muscle tears. I've had bursa inflammation. I've had tendonitis and tendinosis. I've had plantar fasciitis. I've had IT band syndrome. From cycling, I've gotten saddle sores by doing too much too soon. There's there's a lot of things. That list is extremely long for me. So I tell you this out of personal experience and uh, just out of caution to make sure that you are progressing in a way that is appropriate for your level of fitness. So when you when you feel like you want to take on the world, I encourage you to do it, but I encourage you to do it gradually, slow and steady, 
adding additional load in a controlled and consistent manner. So you're going to avoid some of the pitfalls of doing too much too soon that I am very familiar with. At some point along your health and fitness journey, you're either going to get to the point or you might even start at this point where riding a bike is an option for you. So let's talk about cycling a little bit. If you have a bike that will already work for your body and for your weight and your level of fitness, or you have the funds to be able to purchase one, I can fully endorse cycling as an excellent way of getting in shape. Cycling has a lot of distinct advantages to other forms of exercise, and some of those include, uh, like swimming, being almost zero impact. Very low impact and stress on your joints. If you have a good bike fit and the appropriate gear, you can also ride your bike for hours and hours. It's an excellent mode of transportation for those who live in cities where they have good cycling infrastructure. It's also uh, a really great calorie burner because it primarily targets the largest muscle in your body, muscles in your body, your legs. And there are also amazing ways to gamify the entire cycling experience, especially during times that might drive most activities indoors, if you have the space and equipment for it. And I'll explain more on this in just a second. But because cycling is so low impact, it's a fa- it is a fantastic exercise for people with certain physical limitations that prevent walking from being an enjoyable exercise. My mother-in-law, she loves cycling as a method method of exercise. And this is because she has some physical limitations that are due to a really bad injury she got years and years ago. She got a spiral fracture in one of her legs and it caused some issues with with her ankles and her knees and even, even her hips to a degree. And so cycling has been a huge benefit to her as she's maintained her health and fitness over the years. Many of you might be in the situation where you're dealing with some of these similar physical limitations that might make uh, endurance walking or running or jogging or a lot of other activities more difficult to do. Um, Also, whenever I feel like my running mileage is putting a little bit too much strain on my legs, mainly with the, the muscles and tendons and ligaments around my ankles and knees because of injuries that I've sustained in the past, I'll swap some of my runs out for some long spins on my bike. And this allows me to build up my cardiovascular fitness and endurance while reducing the impact on my joints. Because of this low impact nature, if you have the time, you can quickly build up to cycling a lot of miles in a very short amount of time. This is because it's also a fun activity. But if you're not careful, you're going to be making up a lot of excuses to get out on the bike and put more mileage in. If you find your bike to uh, be too uncomfortable to sit on for longer than 30 minutes or so, it likely comes down to a few things that need to be changed. One, the first thing I'd look at is a bicycle seat. Contrary to most opinions, a big wide cushion seat is not a good seat for a bicycle used for longer efforts. You want a seat that fits the width of your sit bones, which are the bones in your in your pelvis that you sit on, but also allows efficient movement with your legs. So some people say, oh, well, my sit bones are really wide because I have a big bum or whatever. Because That's how I was. That's how I thought. Um, well, your sit bones actually don't really change in width, depending on how big your caboose is. So even though I had a big rear end, it didn't mean I needed the big wide seat. It meant I needed the normal seat. And I needed a seat that was narrow enough that allowed me to move my legs up and down uh, that it wouldn't start chafing my inner thighs. And so that means a racier looking saddle is probably what's going to work best for you, even though it looks really uncomfortable, but it will support your body in the way that you need it supported. Um, Your bicycle also might need what's called a bike fit. And this is a big one. Uh, Now you can do some of your bike fit stuff at home and make some adjustments and kind of dial it in to get mostly there. And the main adjustments that I think are well within most people's mechanical abilities are making adjustments to your saddle height, 
your saddle position, both forward and backwards, as well as your saddle tilt. So nose up, nose down, stuff like that. These are the easy adjustments to try to make. They only require a couple different sizes of Allen keys usually, and they're easy to help you find more comfortable positions. There are lots of videos and articles on the internet that you can watch and read that will help you with this. Beyond this, <clears throat> you'll need to start maybe messing around with your handlebar position. That can be a tricky and expensive experiment to dive into because it usually requires buying parts for your bike and swapping them in and out. So if you can't get a good uh, position adjustment with uh, seat adjustments, I recommend that you take your bike into a reputable local bike shop that offers professional bike fits. This way you can get your position dialed in by professional. They're going to analyze how you're sitting on your bike and how your body moves in relation to your bike. If you do get this bike fit though, note that you're going to need subsequent bike fits after this if you lose a significant amount of weight or you gain a lot of flexibility and strength. Or uh, this is because your body is going to change how it interacts with the bike based on your level of fitness. So you might want to make sure that you get in there every six months to a year or so as you continue to lose weight and get in shape, or if you find that your bike starts getting less comfortable even though you're losing weight, there's probably a more optimal position for you to sit in. Uh, and some people just need a good pair of cycling shorts or bibs. I recommend bib shorts for most people because it allows your shorts to stay exactly where you need them to be on your body in relation to your seat. Uh, so for more information on this though, you can go ahead and listen to my podcast episode on clothing choices for working out. I talk a little bit about uh, appropriate wear for cycling and how you might be able to optimize your uh, cycling clothing for comfort and for uh, modesty for, for your own personal comfort. With all this, you can see that cycling can quickly go, grow to be a very expensive sport to participate in, but it does pay itself back in certain ways depending on how you get into it. One of the ways that I've found that it pays back is in savings and transportation. So I drive a big truck as my around town vehicle and I've never loved really how much gas I burn doing so. And I have no small amount of guilt over the impact that I'm likely having on the environment in addition to the pollution in my valley um, that I live in. So as a way to help myself to keep the vehicle I love and to reduce that level of guilt, I actually purchased an electric bike that helps me to go the distances uh, to and from my office on days where it makes sense and to get around town. This reduces my truck use dramatically. When I use my bike to commute to and from work, which I do, uh, I did a lot more last fall. I'm starting to get back into it this spring, but it reduces my mileage. I drive my truck by 28 miles each day because it's 14 miles each way to work. Um, and it's electric bike, so that helps out a little bit. Bicycles are super efficient and they're a lot of fun. And I barely even notice the fact that it takes me twice as long to get to work because I'm having a really good time and I'm getting some good fresh air and getting some good exercise along with it. If your life rarely takes you more than five miles or so away from your home, it's highly possible that you can replace most of the trips that you normally use an automobile for with a traditional bicycle, not even an electric bike, just a regular bicycle. And you can sometimes get from A to B as fast or faster than you can by a car, depending on the city where you live and the traffic patterns. Not only does this save money and save the environment and is a lot of fun, but it's also an excellent way to burn extra calories going about your normal day-to-day -day activities. Uh, this is called raising your NEAT score, and NEAT stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis. Uh, and that's a fancy term for basically the amount of calories that you burn going about your day-to-day -day life, not including your explicit exercise. So if you make a bicycle or riding a bicycle part of your daily transportation system, it becomes an almost unconscious method of increasing your daily energy expenditure or raising your NEAT score. So... 
but if you find that cycling is dangerous in your area of the world, uh, in your city, in your in your local neighborhoods, or the distances to and from the places you visit most is too far to do by bike, there are other ways that you can add cycling if you really like riding a bike into your day that are incredibly fun and that I love to endorse. So if you've watched some of my YouTube videos, you know that I regularly play a game called Zwift while riding my bike indoors. Zwift is an online game that allows you to work out, explore, and race in the comfort of your own home. The world you cycle through are really rich, they're super engaging, and the race pits you against you know, people of similar fitness and strengths that live all over the world. And I, I regularly partic- participate in weekly bike races, uh, I do weekly group rides, and then I do my own self-guided exploration usually once a week, or what I call route bagging, uh, checking off all of the available routes that I can tackle, and it kind of gamifies it, and you get you know points and badges for it. This sounds like an advertisement for Zwift. It's not. I just really like using it. Um, so in order to, to use Zwift or to use similar programs to Zwift, you're going to need a decent bicycle, uh, a smart bike trainer that measures cadence and power output in terms of watts and speed, and then you're going to need a smartphone or a tablet or a computer or even an Apple TV works well with Zwift to connect to the game platform, uh, whatever game platform that is. Uh, this is an excellent option if you love playing video games and love competing because it allows you to do so within your own home and it kind of checks off that video game achievement box for you. Additionally, you can use your indoor trainer that you have for these games to just spin on. You don't even need to uh, have a subscription to these game platforms. You can just get on your bike and ride while watching a movie or binge watch TV shows, which is very easy to do on a bicycle since, again, you can ride for hours and hours and hours, meaning you can get through these, you know, uh, seasons and series pretty quick. Um, Okay, so last but certainly not least in my book is jogging and running. Now, I personally am in love with running. I love running. I love running on the roads. I love running on bike trails. I love running in the mountains. I love running in the woods. It's one of my favorite things to do. To me, next to walking and hiking, running is the purest form of exercise and movement. And that's because it requires nothing but, you know, something to wear on your feet. And and if you get into barefoot running like some people do, you don't even need things on your feet. You can just go run. And it's so freeing. You can run fast or slow, you can run uphill or on flat pavement, you can run on paved trails or you can run you know, in the dirt or gravel or in the rocks. Uh, it's an amazing way to explore new places and get yourself from, from location to location. I used to run commute to work uh, you know, decade ago or so when I, when I got first into running um, and also a good way to experience your cities and your communities in which you live. Um, The additional load impact sometimes puts a lot of people off, but I find it as a big pro if you ramp up or you build up your intensity and load uh, in a very uh, easy to come by or a consistent and steady way because it actually builds your, your muscles and your bones and your ligaments and tendons and hardens them up and makes them more resistant to injury, not less. It also, there's a lot of social opportunities and challenges that are easy to come by. So that can be done through running groups or races or other community events. And you can do it anytime, day or night, rain or shine. You can do it indoors. You can do it outdoors. You can do it on a track. You can do it on a beach when you're on vacation. You don't need anything. You don't need to worry about if you have your bicycle when you go on a cruise because there's a track on the cruise ship or you can run at port or you can run on any vacation you go to. Um, again, all you need is is a pair of running shoes and the right clothing for your area that you're running in. So if it's hot, obviously, you know, good running clothing, that's going to keep you cool. If it's cold outside, 
you know, a good windbreaker or a light jacket and some sweatpants, things like that. But you don't need a whole lot to go running. This is probably, though, of the list of cardiovascular um, activities you can do, probably the most challenging activity you put your body through. And this is the one I advise the greatest amount of caution when you're jumping into it. It's really easy to get enthusiastic about it. I recommend books to people to read to help them kind of get excited about getting healthy and in shape. And some of these big transformation books that I personally love have a lot to do with endurance events. So some of those are, um, are uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's called Becoming Ultra, um, which is by Rich Roll. Um, another one is um, uh, by Scott Jurek. What's it called? Eat and Run, okay, I think. There's also Ultra Marathon Man. There's a lot of these books that are very common in the running world. Born to Run. Born to Run is a huge one. I really love that book. It often excites people and people really enthusiastically want to dive straight in and start running. And this is really exciting and I encourage the enthusiasm but I also want people to curb it a little bit so that way they don't get hurt because overuse injuries or doing too much too soon is extremely common with running. I recommend not getting started with this sport of running until you can consistently walk 10 to 15,000 steps per day for several weeks in a row to prepare your body for that additional load and when you start I recommend you follow the 10% rule. The 10% rule in running is basically saying do not increase your weekly mileage by more than 10% per week. Uh, so if you're running, you know, three miles a week, then I recommend only running three and a third mile the next week. And then you run 10% more than that the week after that. And so it takes a while to build up to running any serious distance, but that gives your body a lot of time to adapt. Now, there's a lot of people who push back on the 10% rule, and there's some ways that you can safely do it. I, I recommend that if you're going to go past the 10% rule, that you subscribe to something like a Couch to 5K program, right? Now, Couch to 5K is a very common term for basically saying you're going from a non-runner to being able to run five kilometers or 3.1 miles uh, in uh, either a self, you know, a self-timed race or a self-measured race, or you're go actually going out in a community event and going out and running with other people. You can find a lot of plans online that you can follow that will help you guide through this process. So I recommend that if you don't like the 10% rule and you want something that's more guided in approach, you go out and find a, a Couch to 5K program that you can get into. In the near future, I actually plan on providing a Couch to 5K program in my training app. So if you're interested in this, please keep a lookout for it on my website and through my other social media accounts. If you're listening to this in the future, you probably already have seen it or this might actually be something that got you into the podcast to begin with. Um, but yeah, look for that. Um, and I hope to have that out uh, sometime you know, later this spring. Uh, and, and this is 2023. So... Um, so in addition to walking, swimming, cycling, and running, there are a lot of other great ways to get into physical cardiovascular shape and to get this movement in and make it a part of your life. Um, just to create a short list, but you could get into rowing or dancing like Zumba or even ballroom dancing, right? Ice skating, rollerblading, playing tennis or racquetball or pickleball or basketball or joining a, a community or intramural softball league, right? Playing golf. There's so many other different things that you can do that invite consistent movement during the during the execution of these things. What you want to do is you want to find something that allows you to get your heart rate up a little bit and keep it up for a, for a decent amount of time. So if you're golfing, don't get a golf cart. Walk the course as you golf and be consistent. Don't stand around on the green all day. 
You want to just go from hole to hole to hole to hole if you want to use this as a method of exercise. And that way you can get the exercise that you need and make it a part of this fun activity that you already enjoy, right? Okay, well, we pretty much covered the vast majority of cardiovascular work that you can dive into. But what we didn't touch on at all is a very important area of movement, and that's resistance training or strength training. A lot of people argue you don't need any or much cardiovascular training in order to get healthy. And in part, those who say that are right. You can get healthy with none of these cardiovascular activities. That said, I think that that approach is pretty short-sighted because it doesn't strengthen your lungs, your heart in the same way that cardiovascular activity does. So I think a mixture of the two is is optimal. I, I also believe that everyone needs strength training or resistance training in some fashion in their life. Without it, you can't properly support the cardiovascular or endurance-based events that you like doing, or you also can't go throughout your day-to-day life with any degree of comfort. You know, you're if you can run all day, but you can't carry your groceries into the house or up the stairs because you're not strong enough, well, that's a problem, right? And so you need to add strength training into your into your life. Um, so this podcast, though, is long enough as it is. I plan on doing a future episode on the methods of strength training that I find the most beneficial and how to start implementing them into your workout programs. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be a future getting started episode. Um, hopefully, that'll be the next one that I do. If not, it'll be coming soon. So anyway, Thank you for listening to me yammer on about all the major methods of cardiovascular movement that I endorse. It's been a long 40 minutes or so. I hope this was valuable to those who are struggling to figure out how to get started with adding movement to your days and weeks. So, uh, but again, hopefully you, you glean some good information out of this. Um, reach out to me if you need any help for anything. Uh, and you can obviously still check me out on all my social media platforms as I continue to dispense some things that I've learned along the way that have helped me out in my health and fitness journey. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I appreciate everybody who takes the time to listen to my ramblings. And I hope you guys were able to take some value out of some of the things that you heard today. If you have any comments or questions, again, feel free to email me at milesvictors at beatingthestatistics.com. Also, you can find me on all the major social media venues, and my username is BTS Health and Fitness. So you'll find me on YouTube, you'll find me on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. So go ahead and find me there, subscribe, and as I create new content and and small videos and other posts, you can follow along in my journey as well as in some of the counseling and advice that I can provide to my listeners. As always, know that consistency is the key to changing your life. The small things matter. If you're chopping down a redwood tree and all you have is a hatchet, know that it takes one small swing at a time to eventually chop that tree down. So keep on swinging. I'm in your corner. Develop a support network of people who are also in your corner. And you've got this. Thanks for listening.